0: all right hello and welcome just to family this is giving you something to talk about or just alive as i like to call it i'm your host melissa Kretschler. today's episode we're talking about men's mental health uh today's episode has been sponsored by phoenix identity embracing your emotions isn't just for women it's for everyone your mental health your mental and emotional health is a key foundation of life Learn how to control your emotions and process your life with this guide, the Embrace Your Positivity Guide, introducing the Rockstar Method. So go and check that out, link in the description. Uh, If you want to get involved in this conversation, please feel free to type a comment or type a question or a comment in the comment box. We are here, we are answering your questions, and we're having a discussion on men's mental health. And to do that, I'm going to hand it over to my guest speaker. Michael, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, thank you very much for having me, uh, Melissa. My name is Michael Gersh. I am a speaker, author, comedian, uh, photographer uh, as well. Um, And uh, I'm very happy to bring this subject to your your listeners today. And uh, my focus, you know, grief as well. uh, It's been a part of my life since I was an infant, actually. So we'll get more into that, but I'm very excited to uh, talk to you about this subject
0: today. Absolutely. Me too. And we were just talking right before the show for anybody watching. Um, men's mental health is a huge one. And men are men aren't taught to process their emotions, process those those mental health and the beliefs and right. Crying is for for girls and and all of the things that you hear growing up, especially with, you know, I want to say like I had boomer parents um, and, you know, it was kind of a figure it out. you know like I'm the I'm the F round and find out parent (laughs) where where my parents were like you know figure it out on your own um and it the mental health system just wasn't where it is today and it's even it's still even broken today but I think that one of my biggest passions is bringing mental health awareness for not only women but men as well because there's a lot of stuff that comes in comes and and comes into play is what I'm looking to say when, when we're talking about mental health, especially in men. So why don't you start? Uh would you like to start telling us a little bit about your story with mental sure. health?
1: Sure. When I was eight weeks old, my family and I were hit by a drunk driver. Uh my mom was killed in that car crash and she was 28. For me, all my bones were broken. My skull was completely fractured from one side of my head to the other. So the fact that I'm 52 years old and standing, and sit, standing sitting uh, with you today is nothing of a miracle. And I grew up to be a competitive swimmer, uh, comedian, author, as I said before. And I've dedicated my life to the last 26, 28 years uh, to sharing my story so other people don't go through what my family went through with the trauma and the grief, losing someone with impaired driving. A couple of years ago, five years ago, my father passed away in January of 2018, my aunt 90 days later. So that grief and that trauma came to a head, whereas one week in June, I wasn't going to see the end of it. And it wasn't because I wanted to die, I just wanted the pain to stop. And that was the very first time I really um, went into counseling. I needed it because I couldn't send family members back you know, to the cemetery three times within six months. And through my life, grief was never talked about. My dad never talked about my mom so much. Um, My grandmother died when I was eight or or nine, not talked about. My grandfather, when I was 24, uh, my best friend died when I was 30, when he was 33, the result of being a drunk driver. So you take all that and all that grief was just adding up. And I did what my dad did. Don't talk about it, right? You bury up inside to is ready to kill me. And one of my friends is a grief counselor. So I had lunch with her that day, uh, week in June, where I thought I had my plan. I was ready to go. She goes, You don't look like yourself. And I went, Yeah. And I told her a little bit. And then she goes, Go home, fill out the online application. And I did. And everything was a yes, except for one. I wasn't pregnant. So um, I was happy with that one. And then I started grief counseling and I had to fix me. I, I was the problem. And I didn't want to emulate my father anymore on that grief side. And what I found out was by talking about it, um, expressing your feelings about it, that grief, the depression, the trauma didn't own me anymore. It didn't control me. It was very freeing, you know, sort of like when you get home from a hike, Or a long day and you take your shoes off and your socks and your feet are very nice and happy. That's how I felt when I started talking about it and overcoming um, everything. And the first question was, Hey, just talk about your mom's death and how that impacted all your relationships. And I was like, I'm here to talk about my dad and my aunt. She's like, no, you're not. And I was 47 years old. And the very first time processing my mother's uh, death and what it meant to me.
0: Yeah what do you think like in your father's case and in your case i know that in your case it's more so generational right because that's that's what you emulated because that's what you were shown that's what you were taught right right um but like do you think that for your father that was generational or do you think that just it's not taught right again we're not we're not teaching people how to process all of those those you know, even grief, grief is a healthy emotion. Anger is a healthy emotion. People just don't see it that way. Because what ends up happening is you become suffocated by that emotion, because you don't know how to process it. You don't know how to say it. Like, I mean, if you go from, oh, I'm happy one second. How is it that uh, this is to everybody? (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to give you this, this crazy analogy. How is it that everybody can go through life and you get like this hyper insane happy moment where you're like yay and you're like screaming and crying because you're so happy and then you don't process that emotion like but you do you tell people i'm happy you express it you physically energetically um you express it in every possible way this happiness right and i'm not saying you need to go out in front of everybody and like start screaming and crying because you're mad and you're in grief but you're expressing that happiness. So you go through, you express the happiness and you're processing. This situation made me happy. I'm acknowledging that it made me happy. You know what I mean? Now I can, now I'm calm.
1: Yeah, it's, it does run the, the, the gamut of emotions, right? And I, and I do think it's generational. You know, my dad was born in the forties and he was 30 at the time of the car crash. And uh, it was even when I was writing uh, my book, still trying to talk to him was, was hard. And as a kid, you want him to volunteer stuff about my mom. And I didn't realize how tough it was until December 19th, 2012. He was in the hospital for a long time. He had Parkinson's and this one year, I think he had MRSA and some other stuff. And he sent me my brother an email saying on that day, that would have been my parents 48th wedding anniversary. And even to that day, it was still too hard to talk about. So, but, you know, not only was it generational, but also family wise, you know, my mom's name was never said in that house, you know, for a year or two. And and this is from, you know, hearsay from other people, my brother and I were raised by a Jamaican woman. So she, Dolly, she was, it was supposed to be a part-time job and turned into a lifetime. So we were blessed, even though you take the horrible situation of losing our mom and her was a woman wasn't based on color, creed, or religion. It was about basic human need. And said, This family needs me. So she stepped in this motherhood role. And she even said that first year, my dad hardly talked. You know, if she would approach my mom's name to like my grandparents, it was hushed out. So, you know, I wonder if it's not only generational, but also, you know, we're Jewish. So I don't know if it had anything to do with that too, you know, in terms of what religion you are or um, tradition that you know how people talk about death and grief you know but it it needs and you're right i think we're doing a little bit better these days but not so much you know in in terms of the grief area and and how to because everyone grieves but everyone grieves differently and it's doing it in a healthy way what counseling allowed me to do was find the tools to allow me to grieve you know a healthy way you know go hiking go you know i got back into photography you know, and, and those type of things where I'm not self-medicating. Not to say it, it, in a harmful way, you know, depressions, all those things is very helpful if you need it, but also, you know, I wasn't, you know, drinking, you know, put it that way, in, in an unhealthy way. So I was finding those things that will allow me to grieve but also n- not kill myself, you know, in terms of uh, uh, um, unhealthy way.
0: So uh, I know I'm a woman, but I, I'm a mental and emotional expert so I'm I'm gonna throw this out there because I'd like you to to confirm or or disagree mm-hmm. either way I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> for men's mental health when men are experiencing um emotional trauma whether that's grief whether that's loss whether that's anxiety depression panic all whatever those heavy heavy negative emotions are um they tend to gravitate towards self-medicating, whether that's drugs, alcohol, sex, um, um working on cars like what whatever that looks like, they throw mm-hmm. themselves completely and utterly into something that either removes or replaces the emotion that they're they're trying not to feel. But another one is almost instinctual as anger. Yeah. There are a lot of men and and I I look to this and now physical violence is never okay in any scenario. And, and I don't, I don't agree with it, but at the same time, I want to express for, for anybody watching that a lot of the times when, when, um, when men struggle, even women, I've seen it in women as well. When you struggle with very heavy, very negative emotions and you don't know how to process them, you don't know how to express them. They, they, they build and they grow, right? And that can lead to the depression, the self-medicating, the anxiety, the suicidal thoughts, all of that. But what else it can lead to is that anger and that anger can transform into violence, into you know um, trying to find control or power over absolutely anything in your life. But the only thing you can find that control or power over is somebody in a vulnerable position. Um, or somebody that you love and care about. And that's where a lot of domestic violence comes, violence comes into play. I'm not saying there aren't sociopaths who enjoy the the aggression, but it's a control, right? Um, so I wanted to throw that out there, because that's that's something that I think people don't realize when it comes to domestic violence, is, or even bullies, right? There's, right. there's grief and there's pain in there that they're struggling with. They don't know how to process it.
1: I would, yeah, I, I could see that happening because it's an outlet. And how do you channel that energy, right? You lash out. I know for me, when it hits me, my moods definitely changes where my, I'm short-tempered, you know, with, with people. And, and then afterwards, you kind of go, man, I, I really shouldn't have said that to that person, right? Um, and yeah, we have to learn how to, how to channel that energy. You know, we could be anger, but that lashing out in terms of a physical way to other people, that's what we have to learn. That's where I think counseling is so great. Um, One of the exercises we did was a bing bag throw and threw it against a wall. And you hear that sound and, and just the motion that allowed, that was great for me with some anger. So earlier I talked about my best friend who died as a result of being a drunk driver. I had a lot of anger towards him because it was almost like, how dare you do this to me? You knew my story and that you still drove drunk. So that really affected me. And then it wasn't until I did EMDR a few, two or three years later, after the first initial, um, I worked on that and, um, in a healthy non anger way, you know, let that anger go. Cause I was like, why am I so angry? It's just all that energy I could be putting towards something else. I'm still stuck on his death and being mad at him. He's not going to come back. I can't face him. I can't you know, punch him in the head. So don't do that again. The anger was consuming me. And, you know, Master Yoda says, you know, anger leads to the dark side. I don't want that. Um, so uh, I think you're right in terms of how that energy is unfortunately, you know, put on other people where that domestic violence is there or, or you hit people. Um, you know, that's not of my nature to do. Um, and, and then one's always a little bit different, you know. So I know for me, short-tempered was definitely it. You know, let me go work out. Let me go abuse myself yeah. more than than anything else. And you know, we see that with people. Um, you know, that anger, and we f- I use that fuel for other things, yeah. um, which I think was uh, a much better situation for my for me.
0: What about comedy, though? Too
1: comedy was there. Humor was always my defense mechanism. That's always a, ever a, since I was a kid. Too. And one of my and my role models are Tigger, Spider Man, and James Bond, and yeah. if you research figure out role models and how they impact your, what you do. Tigger humors, right? Spider-Man, he used humor as a defense mechanism. James Bond used humor as a defense mechanism. Me, comedian. So I always used it. And, and a lot of my friends are comedians. We've had that pain and trauma in our lives. And it just comes out in humor and again, a healthy way. And we're on stage. It's like free therapy for us too. But it's also nice when someone who's leaving the showroom says, "Thank you for making me laugh. I had so much going on in my life, I needed that break. Yeah. And what do you say to that? I mean, it's it's an awesome feeling. So we know that there's that relationship with the audience, we know, we're gonna take someone's pain away for a half hour or an hour. But humor is is a great way to do it. And there's all you know whether you have dark humor or whatever, I don't care. You know as long That's as you're able to humor. laugh and do stuff, yeah
0: yeah um i i have i definitely have dark humor considering like the, the company that's launching april 1st um of mine that's pretty pretty dark humor and inappropriate yeah um <clears throat> wrapping paper with you know uh inappropriate graphics on it but anyway um that's my husband and my company i think <laughs> i said it out loud out loud so i apologize for everybody but um but comedy, you look at Robin Williams, right? Yeah. Robin Williams was an amazing, amazing comedian. And throughout his um, comedy years, throughout his movies, he made the world laugh. And, but inside he was, he was struggling. And right. and that showed um, obviously when he, when he uh, passed away, but.
1: yeah, um, Especially at the end, because he didn't want to live that life. And then, but. I was read one of his books, a biography, and that concept was there and um, you know, that, that struggle. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because our parents' trauma, you know this, will trickle down to us. Mm-hmm. And then I had to say no more. I had to go, okay, my dad's trauma trickled down to me, but I, I have that power to change. And how bad do you want to change and break that cycle? And that's what I focus on because otherwise, it just keeps repeating itself. I don't have kids so I don't know who's going to repeat too, but I also didn't want to keep living that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what do you suggest um, for any for any men who are struggling with their mental health, with their emotions, with grief, with with all of the things that come with mental health and emotional well-being? Um, what, what do you suggest from your own experience and from your, your own work helping others? What do you suggest that they do to even just take that first step?
1: Yeah, find someone you feel comfortable talking to. It's okay to be a burden to someone. And I learned that after people was reading my book and they go, be a burden to me. They didn't know how I was that week and that I had a plan. Speaking of Robin Williams, I was gonna do that plan. That's what I had. And even though early in my life, I thought about it and, and, and those notions were there, it never was as close as it was then. So I would say to any men, You know, find someone you feel comfortable with, go talk to. It could be clergy, rabbi, but counseling helps. Don't be afraid because, you know, a sign of asking for help is a sign of strength. And in society, men are supposed to be strong. Well, if you want to be strong, go ask for help because we can't always do it ourselves. And it's okay because then, you know, as I said earlier, instead of that controlling us, then we have that control over it. And it's very freeing. Liberating. And then once you start talking about it, you realize it's not that bad of a deal um, or big of a deal in terms of talking to someone. Um, that pressure comes off our shoulders. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, so I never about- thought how freeing it was going to be. So I did it. So for any men, you know, it, it's quite okay. It, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. It, I think there's more to be afraid of if you don't go ask for help. You know, you do it for yourself, you do it for your family, you do it for your loved ones, um, because they all love you and, and want you to be around. And, and I know that as a kid that should have been dead at eight weeks. I also know my mom didn't do anything. So I, you know, I don't, I think she sacrificed her life so I could live. And me doing something stupid would throw that, you know, um, you know, would destroy that. So you find those things that make you happy and that things that you're living for um also because that that's important
0: I love that you said that because somebody I heard somebody say um the other day I don't want to be a burden to you I feel like a burden to you and that was amazingly powerful for me that you just literally used that wording so somebody who's already can, thinking I don't want to be a burden to you what what would you speak directly to them what, what would you say directly to that person?
1: You know, look, be a burden, be a pain in someone's ass, right? Because that's better than the alternative. So, and your close friends, your dear friends will always have your back. They'll never look down upon you for the emotional trauma that you're going for, because we want to help you. And I learned that with my friends too. It doesn't care how big or how small, whether it's a text, you know, I'm feeling down or whatever, you know, your, your circle will always be there for you. And, and sometimes talking to a stranger, like a, a therapist is, is the way to go, but, you know, talk to your wife, your girlfriend, because um, they all care about you. And uh, the worst thing you could do is not then doing something as we both know. And then we ask, well, we didn't know they were that bad. Or why didn't they ask for help when it's that easy? You know, we see that with servants, servicemen, you know, military, police the firefighters responders where they're in that environment you know and where they go well i'm fighting for the guy next to me well the guy next to you wants you to be here right so again get that assistance where it's that stigmatism where it shouldn't be yeah you know in, in terms of and that's the shame and that's what we have to change in our culture too right so we're also fighting against that but then i kind of go i'm doing it for myself you know who cares what if the if Thought asking for help was, was weak. Well, it's no, it, it, it's strong. As you said, bullying, right? No shame in that. And I read a lot of Brene Brown's books about vulnerability and shame. And I go, why, sh- why should I have shame in this? This is my life and I want to be here, you know, for the next day. Humor. Yeah. I love that my drug is hearing people laugh. And I wrote a list. What things would I miss if I, if I killed myself? Someone's laugh was on that list. Um, going to see Kiss again, you know, um, you know, my favorite music groups or whatever. If you have kids, you know, make a list. And and that helped me to um, realize how I, how important I was for the people around me. And and you are, you're loved and you are important and your life means something and it's precious. Yeah.
0: Um, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. I'm kind of just, the the person that i'm thinking of i'm thinking of everything that they're struggling with and um everything it's like you're speaking to certain people right and and it's it's awesome when you can feel that oh now i know where i was go where i wanted to go um we t- we talk about stigma men's mental health and the stigma and the you know not asking for help we talk about people in the military um People in the armed forces, uh, police, cops. Uh, there are so many high-profile, very high-demanding positions. Um, even actors and actresses are very high-demand positions. Politicians. All of those will. What's the so? I'm an identity coach. Just to to clarify this and why I'm saying this, I'm an identity coach, and there are a lot of situations in our life that that will feel like it's taking over our identity being a parent being a partner um high profile positions or high demand positions we feel like we lose ourselves in these life events or in these careers or titles or roles and as we go through that um it's almost like we forget who we are and we forget that it's okay to ask for help and we forget Military. Military is huge because you you live, breathe, eat, sleep. And with all of the, the professions that I've already talked about, you live, eat, breathe, and sleep this profession or this persona, right? And when you feel like you've lost that persona, you feel like you've lost yourself. So for anybody who is in a high demand, high profile position, know that we get it. We get what it's like to be there. We get what it's like There are so many uh, people like Michael and I, so many people that I've talked to in the last year of running this show who understand that mental health is no joke. Mental health is serious and it's something we all struggle with one way or another. Every one of us is going to face negativity or trauma or grief. It's a part of our existence. And the sooner we all decide that that is acceptable, the sooner we all start to really truly heal.
1: You said something about the identity, right? COVID was a huge one. One day you're a server at a restaurant, next day you're not. You know, and how do you deal with that? I had to do that when I had to stop swimming due to injury for twenty-something years. School and swimming—that was it. One day I woke up, I'm not a swimmer. Who am I? Yep. Again, you're going through that. And I think now, you know, we have a lot more help with it. I mean, I was in college 88 through 92. So that help wasn't really there for athletes more, you know, it is there there now. But I, I like what you said about that identity, because we have to figure out who we are. Yeah. And we're more than just like a soldier or, you know, that job where we're so many more things and it, I had to learn what you're else right. was I? Yeah, I had to learn. Yeah. I mean, look, I was speaking for so long, <laughs> so one day. All these shows are gone. Now now, who who am I? And that was hard because the, you missed that part of you. And it's like, okay, let me figure it right. You have to figure out, okay, now what? It's my profession, but is that who I am? Same thing through counseling. It took me 47 years to realize that I'm not just a victim and survivor of that drunk driving crash. I thought that's exactly who I am. I'm not that person. It's a part of me, but it's not all of me. And mm-hmm. For, can you imagine if I went through that when I was a kid, you know, that processing and stuff? Oh, they how, do it all the time. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. The- <laughs> I know.
0: Kids, kids, like people don't understand how hard kids have it. Like kids have it so hard because you're trying to create that identity. Yeah. Right. And, and connect to it while you're going through puberty, while you're going through life changes and schools and bullies and Everything is your fault because you know if your parents are fighting, you take that on because it's like you we don't know any better, right? Um,
1: right. Yeah, especially today's <laughs> generation of kids where TikTok and social media is a huge part of bullying, for instance, and you know the uh, the the aftermath of it is how do you take that back? It's already out there, and mm-hmm. and you know it's a little bit different than hey, I'll meet you on the playground at three o'clock, you know after school. We don't have that anymore, and school shootings and the Trump, you know, all that. How that. I mean, even if it was talked about, I, I was too busy swimming and pretending to be Spider-Man and a giant master, how, how am I gonna process that? Would every school form I right mother's name deceased and no teacher ever asks, well, what happened to your mom or, or why? And how do you answer that? I can't imagine, I don't know how I would have done that. You know, back then, I, luckily I, I didn't. But if that was, if that processing, that help was there when I was a kid, Maybe I would have been married and have a family, but I saw the pain my father went through. And I went, I don't want to experience that. So I would sabotage relationships, right? God, well, I don't want to take that chance of being married and then losing my soulmate like my dad did. That's hell. I saw what that did to that man for 47 years. But if I had that help beforehand, that life would have probably been different.
0: that's where my smarter method comes in and the rockstar method because both of those do that right the smarter method teaches you who you are and builds confidence in that in your identity right and everything you need to be a happy healthy individual the rockstar method is all about emotional control it is literally emotional control and well-being um anyway but that's for our sponsor um you had mentioned something and I wanted to touch on it. What was it? Oh, um, so when you, when you stop being a swimmer, how many people put everything that they are. So whether you're, uh, in my case, a wife and mother in, in your case, a swimmer in like parents, um, careers, um, all of that, I call them, they're not midlife crises because they can happen at any point in time. They are life crises and what they are is a point where you haven't kept up with your identity, right? At every stage I could get lost. So I'm a mom and moms do this all the time. Fathers as well, right? You're the provider. So men's mental health, you need to put yourself first. And that is so hard for men and women to do is put themselves first. I come before my children. I come before my husband. Because I have to make myself the number one priority in my life. Nobody else is going to.
1: I'm Same reason why they say put your oxygen mask first on yourself, then the your kids, right? Because you yeah. helping yourself. You can't help all the people. Yep.
0: Exactly. Right. So I always tell people, put yourself first. Um, and I'm, I'm going to reiterate what Michael said, because it's absolutely golden let yourself be a burden because to the people who love you, you are not a burden. The burden was to not have you. Yep. So, yeah. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to add before we get going, Michael?
1: No, I think we covered quite a bit in a short time. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate the opportunity for me to come on and and hopefully help someone realize what we're trying to do. To accomplish you know for asking for help and and living uh, a nice longer life you know and don't be afraid of it because it you know it eats you up and you know that that it, we talk about anger right and um that and you're right that's one emotion of of many and, and the easiest but find ways to channel that energy into a positive way more than, more than anything else
0: all right. Well, if anybody would like to get in touch with Michael or myself, please do so. Link in the description of this episode. If you have any comments watching the replay, please feel free to reach out. Uh, if you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or a guest blogger or a guest sponsor, if you want to see your name featured as our sponsor, or if you want to see a topic featured, please reach out to us at justalivetv.com. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. This is good been- for
1: having me, Melissa. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah fantastic episode well probably one of my absolute favorites so cool awesome (laughs) all right well you have a great day for everybody watching i'm your host melissa Kretchler. i hope you have a wonderful afternoon morning or evening depending on when or where you're watching everybody everybody allow yourself to be a burden in michael's words and make sure that you ask for help you're important and and you deserve to be happy so we love love you we all love you Exactly. All right. Lots of love. Talk to y'all later. Bye.